The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr. Fallon and Dr. Law acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respect to their elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. Hello everyone and welcome back to another new episode of Brand New Little People, the podcast where we talk about all things early parenting with a particular focus on sleep and settling across the first few years. We're your hosts, I'm Dr. Fallon Cork and I'm here with Dr. Laura Conway. Laura, how are you coping as we get towards the end of these school holidays? Oh, I've got about a week and a half left of school holidays. I'm limping towards the end. <laughs> Yeah, I'm loving getting lots of extra time with my kids, but uh, the juggle of trying to manage work and kids and yes. I mean, trying to record a podcast and keep them quiet in the background, oh my goodness, what a battle that is. If our <laughs> listeners could um, see what happens just before we hit record with both yes. of us running in and out of our <laughs> rooms and telling children to be quiet, put earphones in. <laughs> settling the dog no voice calls with your friends yeah put the dog in the other room oh my god all the variables and then just as we go to hit record something will happen like a truck will go past yeah total mayhem definitely giving me even more gray hairs than i already have yes oh but but with the um knowing that we've got a week or so before school holidays and i'm also turning my mind towards um bringing back some firmer bedtimes <laughs> for mm. my children because I know I've got just over a week or so before they're going to have to be waking up for school early and thinking yes. have, giving them a nice long lead in to falling back into more predictable daily rhythms for them as well as for me because <laughs> um, yes. oh, it's hard otherwise doing it's like a handbrake That's turn a good isn't reminder. it mm. it really is my kids bedtime has gradually gotten later and I know there'll be people listening who have little ones who are about to start prep or their first year of school um, and often they're getting up a bit earlier than normal. We actually have a really great um, blog post on preparing kids for starting school and mm. getting their sleep in order beforehand. Um, I'll have to dig that up. Maybe I'll pop a link in the, um, the show notes if you are struggling with that. Mm. Um, and look, that's a good segue to, you know, we were talking, weren't we, Laura, about what we wanted this episode to be about and we always base the content of these episodes around the sorts of things that parents have brought up with us either in the clinic or perhaps questions that they've sent in to us. Um, and, you know, there, there are always going to be these ups and downs. And it sounds a bit cliche. We talk about it all the time. There's the ups and downs of parenting. <laughs> um, but it's so true, especially when it comes to sleep. Um, you're going to have times where things are going pretty well and then you'll just hit this huge roadblock and it will feel you know, in the moment, it feels insurmountable. It feels yes. like the world is falling apart. Um, but we wanted to create this episode to really pick apart what are the things you're likely to come up against and what can you do to get around them? Because usually mm. it feels like it's the end of the world and it actually, actually isn't. Yes. Um, and I think you probably find yourself talking through a few of those scenarios in clinic at times, do you, Laura? Yeah, I do. Um, one of the analogies I use that um, seems to resonate with a lot of the families that I see 
is that um, sleep is a central cogwheel, if you like. Um, and sleep changes a lot in the first few years of life, um, independent of anything else that's going on. But all the way around that central cogwheel are other little cogs that can mm. influence sleep. And they include things such as um, being unswaddled, um, sickness, teething, um, moving in, starting daycare, moving into a different room at daycare, um, mm. a new sibling Eczema arriving. Medical problems. That's right. So loads and yeah. loads of lo other little cogs um, around sleep. And if any of those things are activated or uh, uh, moving, they can cause the central cogwheel of sleep to move. Um, so one of the things that we try to do in clinic is think about which of the surrounding um, issues can we have any control over. Um, and those things that we can have control over might include um, if your child um, has allergies or intolerances, what we might be looking at is ensuring that um, we don't expose the baby or toddler or preschooler mm. to those foods whilst we're working on sleep. So we can keep that under control because that will keep gut irritation down. Um, and um, if they're teething, we might look at ensuring that they have pain relief or have um, safe teething rings to use, for example. But there are other things that are just outside of our control. So we keep as many mm. of the things that we can control stable and then the other things that we can't control, we just have awareness of them and just know, mm. okay, well, when those things are happening, then we know that sleep is going to be impacted, but it's not going to be forever. It's just until this extra factor um, passes. And sometimes it's mm. just knowing that that can give us yes. as parents the, you know, this too shall pass. You know, it's that, sorry to use a, like, a tired old trope, but it is really <laughs> um, appropriate um, in this setting. So these things will pass yeah. and then sleep will get back on an even keel. Yeah, and look, sometimes it might be that there's nothing to do. You just have to stay the course and wait for that thing to pass. But at other times you might need to pivot. You might need to completely adjust your approach for a little while or maybe it's forever you know maybe you need to just take a completely different um approach with things depending on on what that is and i suppose you know in our clinic work we're kind of there to talk parents through these things and help them plan out those things and what we've tried really really hard to do in sombell is to really make parents aware of what those factors could be that yes. will influence sleep um, and give parents lots of ideas on how you might pivot and change and adapt, um, you know, if you do hit those sorts of roadblocks. Mm. But I appreciate fully that when you're a parent, you, it often feels so isolating too. Um, it just feels like, oh, my God, sleep's turned to poo. And <laughs> it's never going to get better again. And it can be really hard. You know, in clinic, we can tell you it's okay. You know, you're yeah. going to get through this. But without that voice there, it can feel you know, very end of the world, um, but it absolutely isn't the end of the world. And that's what we wanted to talk through in this episode is if you're hitting hurdles, new, you know, maybe you made some great progress with some bell, but then there's this one last thing you just haven't been able to get past or mm. a new thing has arisen that's throwing out sleep. Um, we want to give you some ideas on, on what you can do to get mm. through those things. Yeah. Um, one of the things I know I've, I've seen a bit, Laura, 
um, is you, we get lots of families in Sunbell who really love our gradual approaches. So things like the um, the slow fade approach or the quick fade approach, um, they're quite gradual. Um, you know, and it's all about kind of working on settling your baby in the cot, but with lots of hands on support that mm-hmm. you, you would gradually phase out. Um, and the Sunbell steps have lots of, you know, um, steps in there about how to, how to phase those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of parents will say, well, I've, you know, I was feeding them to sleep or maybe uh, rocking them to sleep or co-sleeping and I've made this fantastic progress. I've managed to get them actually falling asleep in their cot um, with just padding, which is a tremendous amount of progress. It really yeah. is amazing. But then they'll say, look, I've been padding them to sleep for weeks and I'm so exhausted because, of course, that baby will still wake up a lot overnight, sort of thinking, yeah. where did you go? Get back over here. I need my nice padding yes. <laughs> to get back to sleep. Um, and if that carries on for a long time, then parents can feel really, really super, um, super exhausted. Yes. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's a case of going, well, go back to the, the approach you're using because, you know, there are steps there on how to phase out how much support mm. you're giving them. Often it is a case of really needing to get to that point where um, you're not having to do any hands-on support anymore. Um, they can put themselves off to sleep without that hands-on support and then things get better. Um, yeah. But I do see a lot of parents kind of getting stuck at just the padding to sleep and almost feeling a bit too scared to take those steps to phase it out. Yes. Um, have you seen that too, I, Laura? Yeah, I do see that a lot um, and often – um, yeah, between the f- first appointment and the second appointment, when I see families in clinic, they have made this amazing progress and they never thought they were going to get to this point where they um, can mm. pop their baby down in the cot or bassinet um, and for them to go to sleep whilst in the cot or bassinet. Um, and then it feels like such a big step again on the back of having already taken this enormous step um, mm. to start to wean off the padding. Um and um, what we talk about in the clinic is how it's the, really just the psychology behind um, how your baby is falling asleep um, and how it is really important to keep moving through the steps that are outlined in the plan. Um, because like mm. you were saying, if your baby, um, if you previously have been feeding your baby to sleep and now you've gotten to the point where they, you're patting them to sleep, that's still a sleep association that they have. And when their Mm. um, sleep pressure is running a bit low, perhaps in the second half of the night, um, they come up into light sleep. Sleep pressure is not high enough to tip them over into the next cycle. They're going to go, oh, hang on, where's that patting? Um, And they're going to want that patting back again. So um, what's really important is that um, parents aren't worried about taking that next step that taking the next step into weaning off the patting isn't going to undo all of the work that's happened before it's just continuing to make progress so it may just be a case Mm. of patting your baby a few times and taking your hand off to scratch your nose or to put your hair behind your ear and then patting them again and then taking your hand off again and just over time um yeah and we might just be taught look some babies are more sensitive than others so you might be able to do this just in two or three days for one baby but another baby you might have to go really slowly and it might be weaning off the patting and the humming or the shushing or whatever it is that you're doing um and that might take two or three Mm. weeks um it really depends on you and your baby um but you're don't be worried that by taking that next step you're going to suddenly be back to needing to hold your baby to sleep again or feed them to sleep 
really, really yes. important that you keep on making steps towards your baby falling asleep without your hands on you, because at that point when they come up in light sleep later on in the night, when their sleep pressure is low, they're not going to go, oh, excuse me, get back here now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you weren't yeah. padding when they fell asleep and they wake up and you're not padding. It's no big deal. It's not a shock to find that you're not there, um, you know, padding in the middle of the night. And I love that idea of, you know, maybe at first, if you're feeling very nervous, it is that you stop padding to tuck your hair behind your ear or it could be something so super brief. One of the things I, one of the ideas I often give parents in clinic is um, have a pile of washing or something in a basket in the nursery so that what you might do is give yourself a little job. So it might be that you pat however many times you've, you've planned on padding and then you stand up, you get one piece of clothing, you fold it and you set it down in its place and then you go back and do more padding or however yes. long you're going to pat for. It just gives you something to do and also your baby is realising, oh, mum or dad or this caregiver might hop up and move away from me a little bit but they're not gone for very long. I can still see them over there. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. And because you're just quite nonchalant, just going on with, you know, doing this folding, um, they're, they're thinking, oh, this must be okay. You know, it just helps them get used to you mm -hmm. being not right there beside them. Um, so, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's another good thing you could try. Is just, you, you've got the added bonus of actually getting something done during the settling too. You're not stuck there thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> yes. the washing, the washing. Um, you can actually, yeah, get something done. You could probably think of something much more exciting to do than washing too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I, um, I, I Fallon, uh, sorry, just to jump in, I also yeah. wanted to say that sometimes um, – for parents who are um, who have chosen one of the much slower approaches, more gradual approaches, um, and that may be the case if you're doing the naught to three month program, for example, or you've done the four to twelve, but your baby is very small, uh, is very young rather. Um, uh, you know, it's a four month old. You might have chosen the slow tapered, for example, and we know that um, depending on what your starting point was, it could take up to five or six weeks. You know, if your mm. baby was, if you were feeding your baby to sleep, for example, it could take up to five or six weeks until they're going to sleep independently at the start of the night and sleeping much better overnight. Now, in that time, if we think about the sleep being that central cogwheel I was talking about earlier and how sleep itself changes, regardless of all of those factors around it that influence um, sleep, in that five or six week period, for very little babies, that's a relatively long time. Mm. And your baby's sleep need may have changed during that time. Mm. So I think it's also really important for parents to continue to log their baby's sleep whilst they're working on a new way of settling them, just so that they can keep an eye on how much sleep their baby's getting. Mm. Um, and, you know, at the starting point, your baby might have been having um, 15 hours per 24 hours sleep. But six weeks later, if their circadian rhythm has matured um, and they actually just need slightly less sleep, their sleep need may have dropped to 14 hours. Mm. And that's not to, anything to be worried about. That's quite normal for sleep needs to drop. Um, particularly, they drop quite steeply in those first few months. Um, and if you're finding that you just you, you're on to this um, phase where you are able to fold some clothes mm. <laughs> whilst you're alongside your baby um, in the nursery as they're going off to sleep. But for some reason, you just can't quite get over the line. Maybe just have a little look to see how has their sleep need dropped a little bit because it's been five mm. weeks since you last looked at it. 
um, because sleep pressure might be playing a part again and you might need to look at moving bedtime or wake up or adjusting the nap duration. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really good advice. And it's a good example of how, you know, it can feel a bit maddening. I think for parents, you, you set out with a great plan in place and then your baby goes and grows up a little bit over those few weeks yes. and suddenly you're like, oh, I've got to adapt it again. That is parenting. It's all about adapting. And sometimes we really want them to stay on a particular schedule, but we just have to surrender. You know, they're not going to be able to do that anymore. Um, we might, you know, have liked to have kept a nap, but it turns out actually we just have to get rid of it now. Um, and there's going to be yes. those times where, yeah, you sort of have to surrender to what your baby is really wanting and what they're needing. Um, mm. You know, and I think as well, it's there's so much about adaptation here. So, you know, a lot of parents, I think, often feel like they, they say things like, I want to go with a really gradual approach. I want something that's going to be really gentle and, and just easy because I'm not at a point mm -hmm. where I could, you know, put my baby down in their cot and walk out the room. That just does not feel doable. The thing with the gradual approaches is that they take longer, obviously, because there's very, very mm -hmm. slow changes. And that doesn't mean easier. <laughs> so mm. it can actually mean mm -hmm. that you're putting in a lot of hard work over a really long time course. So mm. like you were saying, Laura, sometimes, and it depends entirely on your baby. It's not something we can control or you can control. Um, some mm. babies take five or six weeks to adapt to all these changes. Others handle it in you know a week and a half and they're just through it and they're, yeah. they're so adaptable. It's fine. Um, so keep that in mind that gradual doesn't always mean that you're going to have an easier time of things. Um, it can mean mm. that, that it's a lot of hard work for a long time. And what I always say to parents is your goals might even shift during that time. So mm. where initially you might say, look, I know I can't put my baby down and leave the room. That's just not where we're at and I'm not able to do that. So you might start out with a gradual approach and you're just working on helping them settle in the cot with some padding, for example. But what you might mm -hmm. find is that once they're settling in the cot with padding, they might be doing so well um, that you think, oh, we could change approaches now. Um, and also, mm. if you're just feeling really tired and think, actually, you know, I'm, I'm really tired, but I can see my baby's actually handling this pretty well. Um, that's mm -hmm. when a lot of parents will say, oh, can you, you know, like in the clinic, they'll say, can you tell me a bit more about that faster approach? Because now I feel like yes. I probably could just come and go from their room in very, very brief intervals. But they feel kind of ready to step away really briefly um, once they've made that initial work of getting them in the cot. And I think that's a really good example of, you know, when you're doing Sombal, you're going to come up with a plan and you're going to decide on an approach, but it is not locked in stone. So if you start that approach yeah. and you think, oh, hang on, um, this is too slow or this is too fast or whatever it is, we want you to mm -hmm. go back into Sunbell, read through the other approaches and read through all the modifications listed because you might actually find it a lot easier um, to tweak a few things or, or change your approach slightly so that what you're mm. doing kind of aligns with your levels of fatigue, you know, what you think your baby's ready for or your toddler is ready for. Um, you know, it's really really important I think to to keep going back to Sombell because there's so much packed into Sombell no one's ever going to do every single approach but it no. might be that you try um you know two or three different things to really kind of massage them along and and get their yes. sleep to a better place um and mm -hmm. I hate falling you know uh, what I um hear quite a lot from families who um have started settling their um baby in the cot is that um they they will come to me and say is it possible 
that little Johnny is getting annoyed at seeing me there. Mm. <laughs> um, getting, and because sometimes I feel like he's pushing my hands away. Well, he's trying to roll away and it's actually irritating him. And I say, absolutely. Um, and it can be the case that you have initially little Johnny would only go to sleep on mum or on dad. Now you've got little Johnny going to sleep in the cot easily. Um, but little Johnny is wanting to move along at a much faster pace now than you. And you're still trying to do the patting and just thinking about weaning off the pat. But little Johnny is like, get your hands off me. Thanks very much. I understand it's fu- I'm fine in here. This is comfortable. Uh, I want to roll away and just go to sleep. <laughs> get off. Yeah. Back off. Yeah, and a lot of parents would say, oh, that would never happen with my baby. But it happens a surprising amount. Once they're actually in the cot, they're kind of like, what are you doing here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And some parents would say, oh, they're really, you know, they're grizzly and they cry a lot. And sometimes we even will say, just just try wandering away. I know you don't want to, but just try it. And then they do. They wander away for a minute and their baby falls asleep and they can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, it's so worth it. Um, trying something different if you're feeling a bit stuck because you just Mm. don't know how your baby will respond until you try it. And I think a really good thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we online especially, we see a lot of things that sort of say, oh, I tried this and my baby's sleep improved in two nights or three nights or maybe it's four nights. Um, And that absolutely happens. It definitely happens. We see it all the time. Parents have put together a great plan. They dive in. Three nights or so later, things are just going beautifully. But what I want you to keep in mind is even for those families where they have a really fast, amazing turnaround, they still hit hurdles. Mm. They still bump into things that they weren't expecting. And that might mean that, um, for example, often a week or or two weeks after starting a new approach, there usually is a rough patch where they just start waking up quite a lot at night and it can feel like you're back at square one and you might stick with the same approach or tweak a few things um, to get through that rough patch or you know, it could be there's teething or there's illness, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe they suddenly you know, are ready to be unswaddled. Mm-hmm. Um, even the people who have the fantastic quick turnaround, they still face those hurdles. Even as a parent now, and I know you'll say the same, Laura, every now and then your kids, even though they're older now, they have a bad night where they yeah. call out or they have a nightmare and they're scared or for a week they just take ages to fall asleep at the start of the night and it can be really easy to go, oh, my God, what's happened? How am I going to get this back on track? And then, yeah. you know, often you don't even need to do anything. It's just one of those one of those blips. Yeah. Um, so just keep that in mind. You will be seeing stories. I mean, we, we do this too. We post about families who have had a great quick turnaround because we know it really gives families hope that they will as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, those families still hit little hurdles um, and have things to overcome. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say, Laura, is I think, you know, in having done quite a few coaching calls now, um, one of the things I really see um, that's really common in Sombal families when they have their coaching call is I think a lot of parents feel a little bit worried about really catering precisely to their baby or their toddler's sleep needs. Mm. And sometimes that's actually getting in the way of their being progress. So they'll say, well, you know, we decided to use this particular approach but they're just really, really pushing back. Um, Settling's Mm. taking ages. Like, why aren't they having this really quick, you know, two or three day turnaround and and adapting quickly to things? Um, 
and I mean, we do see this in the clinic as well. Um, what we really, I suppose, want you to keep in mind is that, well, let's just talk through an example. So if, um, let's just say you've got a baby or a toddler, maybe they have around about a 13-hour sleep need. So if, if that's, you know, the, the situation for you and you give your baby or toddler maybe a 12-hour window to sleep overnight, you might be pushing for that magical 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. <laughs> that everyone wants. Yeah. Um, but And then maybe you're allowing for three hours total day sleep. If that's your situation, you will 100% have sleep difficulties that simply will not resolve yeah. because they need 13 hours of sleep and you're constantly offering them 15 hours of opportunity to sleep. Mm. So what that can often mean is that you're really likely to face two hours of really challenging settling. It could be mm. for one particular settle or maybe it's for every settle. Yeah. Um, or it could be that you're faced with a couple of hours worth of night wakes. It might be one long night wake or lots mm. of little short wake-ups. Um, and that's utterly exhausting. That's yeah. when sleep pressure is a bit low. Sometimes parents don't realise sleep pressure is low because their babies are showing tired signs. Um, but the, it actually is. And they just don't have progress until they've really catered to their baby or mm. their toddler's unique sleep needs. And that's something I really can't emphasise enough. I think it's probably the key reason parents go, oh, we need to need to have a chat with Fallon or Laura because something's not quite right. So if you want to, you know, avoid having to get that extra support today, maybe even have a look at what your baby's sleep is like. How much are they needing? What are they averaging? And then start to really cater specifically to that and come up with a daily rhythm that fits that exact sleep need. Yeah. Um, I think, Laura, you have a great way of putting it. You sort of say it's it's about meeting the baby or toddler where they're at rather yes. than, you know, trying to force them into a, a different schedule. Yeah, that's right. So uh, I think uh, a lot of parents are really worried that we're going to be restricting their sleep and reducing the amount of sleep that their baby or toddler is having. Um, but that's not the case at all. We meet them where they're at. So we um, we look at that sleep diary um, and you as Sombell members will be looking at that sleep diary. And most babies who are well, as long as they don't have, you know, as long as they're not sick or they don't have sleep apnea or gut um, issue or irritating skin um, that's keeping them awake. You know, most babies who are well across roughly a week, they will get all of the sleep that they need. Um, mm. And if you're giving them lots of opportunity to have all the sleep that they need, um, they would be getting more if they needed it in most instances. So um, we meet the baby where they're at. So you log that data, log it for a week, see what the average is. And what we're doing is not restricting or changing the amount of sleep that we're giving them. We're just changing the kind of parameters around when they can have that sleep. Um, in order to drive mm. up the sleep pressure so that they're going to be tired enough to be able to go to sleep more easily and more able to link their sleep cycles. Um, so although it might look like, if you didn't understand what we're doing, it might look like we're reducing the amount of sleep that they're having. We're not. We're giving them exactly the amount of sleep that they're currently having. But we're just you know, mm. putting them down. If they're not going to sleep until 8, we're going to stop putting them down at 7. You're going to put them down at just before 8. And then you're going yeah. to wake them up um, however many hours later we're allocating them for their nighttime sleep. Um, what we then do, and what I want all parents to understand, is that it, this isn't a static thing. So mm. you meet your baby where they're at or you meet their toddler where they're at. You um, devise the daily rhythm to suit 
that amount of sleep need that they have then once your baby or toddler is sleeping better um, you can then say all right i'm just curious now that they have those really good settling skills and resettling skills if i was to move bedtime a little bit earlier or wake up a little bit later or give them a little bit longer for one of one of their naps will they do it and will they do it without starting to wake again overnight or mm. without having that delayed sleep onset again um, and every few days you can offer them a little bit more sleep um, to see if they need it but if they start to wake overnight again or take a long time to go to mm. sleep then we know well they actually don't need any more sleep and yes. that, what you have now devised is the right amount of sleep for your baby it might well fly in the face of all of the advice that you see online about what oh, a baby your yeah, age should be having <laughs> you know oh my god how many families do we see Fallon who are they've got a baby yes. that only has an 11 hour sleep or a toddler that's only got an 11 hour sleep need and their parents are tearing their hair out trying to get them to sleep for 13 or 14 hours and you might as well yeah. tell the sun not to shine <laughs> it ain't gonna happen yeah yeah. And that's it. And what we find clinically is even when we do go, okay, we've, so I, I suppose another thing to reinforce is that when we say to work on this schedule, that's based around their sleep need. One of the reasons we do that is because it is, it's like magic. If there was ever going to be a magic, you know, magic trick we do, it's this, it's, you know, when, when you're putting your baby down, when they're really, really tired because they're going to bed when they really need to go to bed settling is easier even yeah. if you're making a huge change to how they settle even if they were feeding to sleep and you've decided you're going to go straight to settling in the cot it is so much easier to make that transition when their drive to sleep is really strong mm. um it, it makes such a difference so if you're having a lot of settling troubles and it's just not not really working it's going to be about sleep pressure and mm. looking at what your baby's sleep need is so absolutely revisit that chapter work through it really really closely um and what I was going to say was that even when you've worked on the settling, your baby may be sleeping through the night even, and everything's going beautifully. What we find clinically is that when families do start to reintroduce a little bit more sleep, maybe about 90% or so of babies and toddlers actually won't take that sleep. Yeah. Yes. They really Good, have yeah. been offered point, the amount of <laughs> yes. sleep they need. The majority won't. Some of them, you know, they they become so good at, at settling to sleep that even with low sleep pressure, they'll manage maybe an extra cycle per day, which might mean an extra 30 or 40 minutes per day. Mm -hmm. um, but the vast majority just won't, won't do yeah. it. Um, which really tells us that, you know, we're on the right track with this <laughs> that yeah. catering. Yeah. And it's all about, you know, really what you're trying to do is push that total sleep need into some longer consolidated blocks. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's where it can be really life changing. Yeah. And Fallon, mm. just a, a, another thing to add there, which, uh, this isn't to scare some bell members, but sometime on the rare occasion, what can happen is that. If you had had a baby who was waking up every single sleep cycle all through the night and had been doing that for months, um, once they can go to sleep independently and sleep for longer stretches overnight, sometimes quality trumps quantity. Oh, and so 100%. The amount of sleep that they need in terms of hours can drop just by mm. virtue of them getting much better quality sleep. So yes, it, that can happen. So just for some Bell members to be aware 
that um, mm. don't be worried if you notice that that your baby is now sleeping brilliantly only waking for one feed a night or not waking anymore overnight for, or whatever your goal was um, and mm. that they've gone from having 12 and a half hours and it's dropped down to 12 hours that's okay but as long as they're functioning yeah, no well big deal yeah it's just that the yeah. quality of sleep is much better Absolutely. And often over time, like we said earlier, sleep needs are gradually declining. So it could Mm. even just be that they were naturally going to drop off anyway. Great. So look, I hope that's given parents lots to think about. I think we even put a link to this episode in Sombal in that chapter on troubleshooting difficulties, Mm. because I think they're some of the really core things um, we end up discussing with parents when we do see them face to face. Um, and I think now we could dive into some of the questions that parents have sent through. There's um, a few this week and they are really largely centering on um, families where they've made great progress and now they've hit a hurdle. Mm. Yeah. I think it's perfect timing for those questions to come through. <clears throat> um, Laura, maybe I'll start with Michaela. Yes. So Michaela sent through an update and another question. So we did read out Michaela's questions um, previously in the podcast. So her update is, she says, we have been cot settling our baby for every sleep and are finding it's going pretty well. The most amazing change is she hasn't had any false starts since um, since starting, which is huge for us. She says it's such a relief to put her to bed at night and know we can relax for the evening and not wonder how many times she's going to wake mm. up. Brilliant. Oh, that makes such a difference, doesn't it? When parents just have their time back in the evenings, that's yeah. life-changing stuff. Um, she says, however... Her day naps in the cot are really short, 30 minutes on the dot. After waking up in the morning, she usually stays awake for two and a half to three hours, then has her 30-minute nap, and she seems really tired after that. She wakes up happy, but will sometimes fall asleep feeding once I get her up. Or she's happy for a few minutes and then starts grizzling. I try really hard to resettle her in the cot and it does not work. I can resettle her in my arms, but then she's just back to having contact naps. And I have no idea how long I should be letting her sleep for. I usually continue with the contact nap for one nap each day. So it's an hour long and this seems to be enough to keep her from grizzling. But she still seems tired, rubbing her eyes or even having another nap after one and a half to two hours. She's six months old. My question is, will her naps lengthen themselves or how can I help make them longer? She was getting 13 to 14 hours of sleep, but now is getting around 12 hours of sleep per day. What do you reckon, Laura? What would you be thinking about? Um, So, Michaela, well done. I'm glad that you're having those evenings to yourself. Um, That's awesome. And the night sounds so much better. Um, Listen, when I read what's happening during the day, yeah, absolute sympathy for you, Michaela. That's really hard when you have a baby that's only um, having one sleep cycle for each of the naps. Um, Sounds like your baby may be on the cusp of between two naps and three naps at the moment. Um, Somewhere between six and seven months of age is quite typical for babies to drop down to um, two naps. Um, So if she is sometimes having that third nap, it's probably not going to be long before she's actually just um, moving to the two naps. And you might then find that she begins to have one longer nap a day. I would be um, 
steering clear if you can of that contact nap just since you've done a lot of work on settling your baby in the cot I would actually be suggesting one of the ways to help her move into a two nap schedule would be to think about offering her one nap on the go if you can so just to help her um, to see if we can get her into perhaps a schedule where she has one 30 minute nap and one nap that's a two sleep cycles so about an hour um, and think about offering her that nap in the pram or the car if you can um, and let her mm. have that longer nap on the go um, and then um, you know maybe a week or so of doing that and then try again to see if she will take that longer nap um, back in the cot um, sometimes it's one of those things that just takes a little bit of time to come um, I wouldn't be worrying too much that she's uh, her the amount of sleep that she's getting every 24 hours has dropped because kind of like what we were saying earlier, um, sleep needs do tend to drop um, a little bit. So if it was about 13 hours and now it's down to 12 hours, that could just be part of the natural tra- uh, trajectory of her sleep. Mm. What would you say, Fallon? Yeah, look, it is kind of common once they master cot settling that naps are short for a while, Um, simply because in the daytime for their naps, sleep pressure is a little bit lower than it would be overnight. Um, So sometimes their total sleep they're getting does drop off a little bit, but it generally comes back up. So Mm. in terms of will her naps lengthen themselves? Yeah, if you kind of stick to your schedule, her body's going to start to think, ah, when I'm put down in my cot for sleep, I really have to sleep because there isn't this opportunity, you know, to play catch up later on. Um, If you kind of keep offering little extra naps, there's a chance that her body will just think, oh, I can do this. I can have cat naps because I'll just have another little cat nap later on. Um, So I'd say probably stick to your schedule as best as you can um, to really put that little bit more pressure on her to to try to have that longer nap. Sounds like she's great at self-settling now, so we know she can do it. Mm -hmm. I'd also just be thinking about, why isn't she doing it? So sometimes it's just a case of having to practice, but quite often parents um, will find that, um, you know, it's an environmental factor. Mm. So she might know, for example, that if her bedroom is a little bit brighter in the daytime than it is at nighttime, then when she wakes up after that one sleep cycle and sees that bit of light, she's going, oh, great, I can get up and I can play (laughs) with mum and I can go and explore the world and do things. And she might have a little bit of FOMO and she just thinks, right, no way I'm going back to sleep. I've got stuff to do. Um, So if sleep's going really well at night, you know, it might be because it's so dark at night. She knows that darkness means we sleep so for some parents you black out the room make it really dark um i can pop a link to some good companies that sell great block out blinds um in the show night show notes but um making it really dark often makes a huge difference and just making sure you know the noise is the same so if you use white noise all night then use white noise for the naps so that when she comes up out of one sleep cycle it's completely dark and boring there's um you know the same sounds are happening she's much more likely to then resettle herself back to sleep it can just take a bit of practice though so if you've already sorted out their sleep environment I would say just keep practicing. Try the resettle for maybe 15 minutes or so, and if she won't, get her up, but just keep doing it. Um, It's really tough at this point, Michaela, Um, and, yeah, it can feel like you're really at a stuck kind of point, Um, but it will get better. Um, Hang in there. Um, Mm. And, yeah, you might see that sleep duration come back up again, but maybe it won't. It might just be Mm -hmm. that her sleep needs have lowered a little bit. 
Um, but you're doing a wonderful job. And I mean, that's fantastic progress. So yeah, yeah. focus on the progress. This is just going to be one of those little hurdles, but it should all come together pretty quickly. Yeah. We've also had an update and another question from May. Um, so May says, we recently had to wean our baby off the swaddle as he started showing signs of rolling. We did a gradual transition as loud as outlined. Uh, sorry, I said that again. We did a gradual transition <laughs> as outlined in some bell. Uh, he coped really well with just one arm out. However, it's been downhill with his nap since we transitioned to both arms out. He was immediately very difficult to settle and kept startling himself awake when trying to go to sleep. It is not improving over time and actually seems to be getting worse. He has also been unable to link his sleep cycles, so every nap has been 30 minutes or less. He wakes up incredibly upset and inconsolable unless I carry him and walk around and he refuses to calm down at all with our normal cot settling. I put him back in the cot to try to resettle once he is calm. However, he just starts crying hysterically and I have managed to resettle him only a couple of times. I don't think it's a sleep pressure issue as this happens at every nap. As a result, his day sleep has really taken a hit. He used to happily sleep four hours a day, but now only averages two and a half to three hours. So he's been quite cranky during the day. Thankfully, his nights have not really been affected for now. He may grizzle between his sleep cycles, but he goes back to sleep unassisted. That's great. Um, so May asks, is his poor day sleep due to just the swaddle? Or is this the infamous four month regression, even though my baby is only just past 14 weeks? Regardless, what can I do to support his day sleep if he is resisting all his naps so much? I'm feeling a bit defeated as we had just started getting into a more predictable rhythm with easy settles. Oh, May, that's, um, yeah, that's really hard. Um, defeated seems to be the word that families use the most, Fallon, mm. when they write to us. Isn't, it does, it can feel like it's a battle and being defeated <laughs> when you're yeah. so tired. There's something about that word. It's so powerful. Yes, and I think it's important to remember you are not taking steps backwards. You're just pausing at a point in time. And when your baby yeah. gets over that hurdle, you'll continue moving forward. And I would say, May, you are doing exactly the right thing already. <laughs> like you're, <laughs> you're, you're doing the perfect thing, which is that you're still settling him in the cot. So if you'd taken big leaps backwards and you were doing all contact naps, then that would mean that you're going to have a lot of ground to cover to get back to where you are. But you've managed mm. to really stick with the cot settling. Um, you're trying to do the resettling. I would say, you know, it's really hard to resettle a hysterical baby. So absolutely pick him up, give him a cuddle, try the resettle. But, yeah, you might set a limit. Maybe you'll try for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever feels manageable. Just give him that chance to resettle. Initially, you know, when babies have their arms unswaddled, it, it's always a nightmare. It's just an absolute nightmare. And it's hard to really give you, you know, there's no magic trick I can tell you that's going to make his sleep just suddenly improve because it feels very different for a baby to be unswaddled. Um, and it is a big adjustment for them to make. Um, but what I would say is keep giving him that chance to resettle. There's going to come a point where having his arms out is just not such a big deal to him anymore. And he will be able to, 
um, resettle himself for that extra sleep cycle. And the reason I'm confident that he's going to get there is simply that his nights are so good. So overnight, he has no problem resettling himself, even with both arms unswaddled. Um, what it's going to take is that bit more practice of him learning how to do it for those day naps when that sleep pressure is that little bit lower. Um, so look, mate, I would stay the course, keep trying for the resettle, stick with the same approach. Um, even though it's been really, really challenging, you, you might have a couple of days where you need to do some naps in the pram or the car to give yourself a very well earned rest. Um, there may be some days where you just have to offer him an extra nap because you just can't cope with how cranky he is. And that's fine as well. If you need to do that temporarily, you'll probably find it might be tomorrow. It might be next week, but he'll kind of get over the that hurdle and you'll find it does start to get a whole lot easier again. So just hold on to hope. <laughs> it is going to get easier. Um, and I would say mostly just carry on with what you're doing because you're doing a really wonderful job. Um, would you add yeah. anything to that, Laura? Um, only now I was just having a few technical issues and as you were talking, Fallon, my recording kept turning off. So I wasn't uh. paying a hundred percent attention to your response. <laughs> you just have to trust me. It was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you said everything perfectly. Um, uh, it's like having a toddler running around while you're trying to settle a baby. It's a bit hard. Um, yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I I know when I looked at um, May's question, I had thought to myself, oh, it may be for a few settles, May um, or her baby might um, like the feeling of May just holding her, the baby's arm against yes, um, him as she's doing too. the settling. Um, because sometimes when you're going through this unswaddling process, um, it feels really... Um, foreign to babies they're like whoa what are these things floating around my face oh and I can yeah. feel them um, yeah so for some t for some babies when you are going through that process that May's going through at the moment um when you are resettling or just when your baby's coming up into light sleep you can see them beginning to stir just go and sit beside um the cot or bassinet and just um gently um hold their arms close to their body um, so you hold them still for a moment and see if they can link the sleep cycle then um, yes. whilst their arms are held still. That's and such not, a good idea. Mm. Yeah, because we know he's practicing the resettle with his arms out a lot overnight. And even at the start of the nap, he's managing it. So it might just be for the resettle, you hold his arms for him. And hopefully you wouldn't be doing that for too long. Um, as he yeah. gets more practice, he'll start to manage it himself. Yeah, well done, May. You're doing... An amazing, amazing job. Um, Pre sent in an update. So um, you might remember she was having trouble keeping her preschooler awake during car trips, and we suggested mm -hmm. letting him have some screen time in the car just to avoid those sneaky car naps. Um, because we know for preschoolers, those sneaky car naps can really throw out the nighttime sleep. Mm. Uh, so Pre says the screen time in the car has worked wonders. Um, she says, I think it may have actually reset his frame of mind for being in the car mm. because we've had several instances over the holidays where we, we didn't have the screen on hand um, and we thought he would have an accidental nap, but he actually didn't. Um, so she says, thank Good. you for the suggestion. Um, she also says moving our baby to one nap is definitely working for her. Some days are still two nap days, but they're now very much in the minority. And Pri also has a follow-up question. She says moving our now one-year-old to one nap has been interestingly staggered. For a few weeks, she would push through to a 12 p.m. nap with me. 
but spontaneously fell asleep with anyone else at 9.30am and on those days she would be taking two naps. Now she'll do one nap at childcare, but my husband still gets the spontaneous early naps. There's no pattern to the days when he has her. The only constant to this schedule is who is looking after her. She says, I've decided to just assume I'm fascinating. (laughs) I'm sure you are, (laughs) but we'd love to hear your more scientific explanations. This is such a good question, isn't it, Laura? Because we so often find that um, one parent's great at sticking to a schedule and then there's another parent who's not so great yes. at sticking to that schedule. And it does risk the nights becoming an absolute nightmare and really challenging. Yeah. So really important that you're both doing the same thing. Um, what would you yeah. suggest, Laura? Uh, yeah, I would be um, having a chat with your husband about what it is that um, he's seeing in your daughter that... Um, he's then responding to with giving her a nap um and you do say spontaneous nap so it could be that she's actually just falling asleep on the sofa perhaps um, and Mm. it seems to be out of your husband's hands um and if that's the case um i'd be really encouraging your husband on the days that he's looking after um his daughter um to um think about factoring something in at that 9 30 point in the day so be it a walk to the park a trip to the cafe um, to get a baby chino um, a music class you know just something that mm. is going to be um, perhaps not quite as fascinating as you pre but um, <laughs> next level um, that's going to be um, distracting enough for your daughter and your husband to um, stop that nap from ha- happening um, and really yeah. really to stick to his guns um, even if at this point the total amount of day sleep is the same whether it's across one sleep or two sleeps um there's going to come a point where that second nap is just happening too late in the day for your one-year-old and it's going to be impacting how long it takes her to go to sleep or how often she wakes up overnight so um if your husband can really just um do everything he can to stop that spontaneous nap um uh i think that's um gonna be best for the whole family Yeah, I 100% agree. And I'd be really focusing on the face-to-face interactions because babies or toddlers don't fall asleep when we're interacting with them, but they will fall asleep and have a sneaky nap if the tally's on and they're lying on the couch. You know, so plan something where you're really interacting with her and keeping her busy. Um, Thank you so much to the families who have sent questions in this week. Um, We hope you found this episode really helpful and would love your feedback. If there is a topic you would like us to cover in an episode, absolutely let us know. Or if you you are hitting your own hurdles, if you've tried something in Sunbell and you think, gosh, this just is not working for us, there will be Mm. a solution. So make sure you send us an email so we can address it in the podcast. There is the option of booking coaching calls as well. They've actually been really, really heavily booked. So I'm looking at adding Mm. um, a few more um, throughout February. Um, But the quickest way to get some answers to your, um, any problems you're facing would be to email us um, if you're a Sunbell member. If you're not a Sunbell member, go and check it out and find out if it's the right fit for your family. Um, And welcome as well to all of our newest members. There's been quite a few this week and we're really, really thrilled to have you on board and look forward to hearing more about how your journey with sleep and settling pans out over the next few weeks and and months. 
Yeah. So on that note, I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful week. And we look forward to joining you next week for what I believe will be episode 36. We've got a few under our belt now, Laura. (laughs) Yeah, we have. Look at us. Go us podcasters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. If you need help with your baby or toddler's sleep or settling, you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic program for babies and toddlers aged 0 to 3 years. It contains all the best resources from the sleep clinics at Infant Sleep Australia, so you can rest easy and soak in your child. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.